0: Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, what should I be drinking? I think I put a pina colada in the other one, so I can't say that.
1: Today, I'm drinking a pina colada. What do you have, Del? I am drinking a martini, and on this week's episode, we are going to look at one of the most infamous cult leaders in American history and what he called his family. We are, of course, talking about the Manson family. Few cults, have had the cultural impact as the Manson family and we're going to dive into who Charles Manson was, how the family was formed, and the horrific crimes that they committed. Let's start with some background on Charles Manson. Charles Manson was born Charles Mills Maddock on November 12, 1934, to Kathleen Manson in Cincinnati, Ohio. He most likely never met his father, but it's believed that his father was Colonel Henderson Scott Sr. His mother had taken the colonel to court for a paternity suit, but it's still not known whether Charles ever actually met the man. In August of 1934, while pregnant with Charles, Kathleen married William Manson. Although Charles was born with his mother's maiden name, he soon took the last name of his stepfather. Charles was often left with multiple babysitters while his mother was out drinking with her brother Luther. William would go on to divorce Kathleen in 1937. Even though his mother got divorced from William, Charles maintained the Manson last name. In 1939, Kathleen and Luther were arrested and imprisoned for armed robbery. While his mother was in prison, Manson was sent to his aunt and uncle's house. After his mother's release, they moved to Charleston, West Virginia. In addition to the troubles caused by his mother's drinking, Manson had a terrible time dealing with authority and rules. When he was nine, he set fire to his school. He was often truant and spent most of his childhood in and out of reform schools. Manson was arrested on federal charges for driving a stolen car across state lines. Manson was transferred in October of 1951 to Natural Bridge Honor Camp. His aunt had visited him and told administrators that she was let him stay at her house and would help him find work. During this time period in January he was caught raping a young boy at knife point. Manson was then transferred to the federal reformatory in Petersburg Virginia. There he committed a further quote-unquote eight serious disciplinary offenses three involving homosexual acts. He was then moved to a maximum security reformatory. He received an early release in May of 1954 due to good behavior. In
0: September 1959, he pleaded guilty to a charge of attempting to cash a forged U.S. Treasury check, which he claimed to have stolen from a mailbox. He received a 10-year suspended sentence and probation after a prostitute named Leona made a quote-unquote tearful plea before the court that she and Manson were quote-unquote deeply in love. Manson took Leona and another woman to New Mexico for purposes of prostitution, resulting in him being held in question for violating the Mann Act. Following the arrest of one of the women for prostitution, Manson was arrested in June in Laredo, Texas, and was returned to Los Angeles. For violating his probation on the check cashing charge, he was ordered to serve his 10-year sentence. While Manson was still on parole, he started gaining followers. The first was Mary Bruner. Mary was a librarian and Manson convinced her to let him stay on her couch for a few nights. This arrangement became permanent and Manson soon found a second follower. Lynette Frome, also known as Squeaky, was a runaway teen that Manson convinced to stay with him and Bruner. His following began to grow and he was soon able to attract large crowds. His followers were often social outcasts. Manson used LSD and sex to, quote, turn his followers into empty vessels that would accept anything he poured, end quote. By April of 1968, Manson had about 20 followers. According to Vincent Bugliosi, in late 1968, Manson adopted the term quote-unquote helter-skelter, taken from a song on the Beatles' White Album to refer to this upcoming war. Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys picked up Patricia Krenwinkel and Ella Jo Bailey when they were hitchhiking in late spring 1968 while under the influence of alcohol and LSD and brought them to his Pacific Palisades house for a few hours. He returned home in the early hours of the following morning from a night recording session was greeted by Manson in the driveway, who emerged from the house. Wilson asked the stranger whether he intended to hurt him. Manson assured him that he had no such intent and began kissing Wilson's feet. The number of women doubled in Wilson's house over the next few months, and they cost him approximately $100,000 by making themselves part of his household. This included a large medical bill for the treatment of gonorrhea and $21,000 for the destruction of his uninsured car, which they borrowed. Wilson moved out of his rented home when the lease expired and his landlord evicted the family.
1: Manson established a base for the family at the Span Ranch after Wilson's landlord evicted them. Wilson had paid for studio time to record songs written and performed by Manson and introduced him to entertainment business acquaintances, including Greg Jacobson, Terry Melcher, and Rudy Autobelli, who owned a house which he rented to actress Sharon Tate and her husband Roman Polanski. Manson entered 150 Cielo Drive Uninvited on March 23, 1969, which he had known as Terry's residence. Manson told Hatami that he was looking for someone whose name Hatami did not recognize and Hatami informed him that the place was the Polanski residence. That evening, Manson returned to the property and again went to the guest house in the back. He entered the enclosed porch and spoke to Audubelli, who had just came out of the shower. Manson asked for Terry, but Audubelli felt that Manson had came looking for him. On the night of August 8th, 1960, Tex Watson took Susan Atkins, Linda Casabian, and Patricia Krenwinkel to 150 Cielo Drive in Benedict Cannon, Los Angeles, California. Watson claimed Charles Manson had instructed him to go to the house and quote unquote totally destroy everyone in it and do it, quote unquote, as gruesome as you can. Manson told the women to do as Watson instructed them to do. The occupants of the house at Cielo Drive that evening were movie actress Sharon Tate, who was and a half months pregnant, and the wife of film director Roman Polanski, her friend and former lover Jay Sebring, Polanski's friend Warchak Frakowski, and Frakowski's girlfriend Abigail Folger, Harris to the Folger coffee fortune. Also present on the property were William Garrison and Stephen Parent. Polanski was in Europe at the time working on a film. Watson removed the screen, entered through the window, and let Atkins and Krenwinkel in through the front door. He whispered to Atkins and awoke Frykowski, who was sleeping on the living room couch. Watson kicked him in the head and Frykowski asked him who he was and what he was doing there. Watson replied, quote, I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's business, End quote. On Watson's direction, Atkins found the house's three other occupants with Krenwinkel's help and forced them to the living room. Watson began to tie Tate and Sebring together by their necks with rope, then slung it over one of the living room's ceiling beams. Sebring protested the murderer's rough treatment of the pregnant Tate, so Watson shot him. Folger was taken momentarily back to her bedroom for her purse, and she gave the murderer $70. Watson then stabbed Sebring seven times. Krakowski's hands had been bound with a towel, but he freed himself and began began struggling with Atkins, who stabbed his legs with a knife. He fought his way out the front door and onto the porch, but Watson caught up with him, struck him over the head with the gun multiple times, stabbed him repeatedly, and then shot him twice.
0: Cassabian had heard quote-unquote horrifying sounds and moved toward the house from her position in the driveway. She told Atkins that someone was coming in in an attempt to stop the murders. Inside the house, Folger escaped from Krenwinkel and fled out a bedroom door to the pool area. Krenwinkel pursued her and caught her on the front lawn, where she stabbed her and tackled her to the ground. Watson then finished her off. Her assailant stabbed her a total of twenty-eight times. Frykowski struggled across the lawn, but Watson continued to stab him, killing him. Frykowski suffered fifty-one stab wounds and had also been struck thirteen times in the head with the butt of Watson's gun, which bent the barrel and broke off one side of the gun grip, which was recovered at the scene. In the house, Tate pleaded to be allowed to live long enough. Enough to give birth and offered herself as a hostage in an attempt to save the life of her unborn child, but both Adkins and Watson stabbed Tate 16 times, killing her. According to Watson, Manson had told the women to, quote, leave a sign, something witchy, end quote. Atkins wrote pig on the front door in Tate's blood. Unfortunately, the Manson family wasn't finished. Tex, Watson, Susan Atkins, Linda Kasabian, and Patricia Krenwinkel along with Manson, Leslie Van Houten, and Clem Grogan went for a drive the following night. Manson was seemingly displeased with the panic and fight of the victims in the previous night's murder. He told Kasabian to drive to a house at 3301 Waverly Drive in the Los Feliz section of Los Angeles, It was located next door to a home where Manson and family members had attended a party in the previous year. The home belonged to supermarket executive Lino and Rosemary LaBianca. Watson claims Manson roused the sleeping Lino LaBianca from the couch at gunpoint and had Watson bind his hands with a leather thong. Rosemary was brought into the living room from the bedroom and Watson covered the couple's heads with pillowcases which he bound in place with lamp cords. Manson left and Krenwinkel and Van Houten entered the house. Watson sent the women from the kitchen to the bedroom where Rosemary LaBianca had been returned while he went to the living room and began stabbing Lino LaBianca with a chrome-plated bayonet. Watson heard a scuffle in the bedroom and went in there to discover Rosemary LaBianca keeping the women at bay by swinging the lamp tied to her neck. He stabbed her several times with the bayonet then returned to the living room and resumed attacking Lino who he stabbed a total of 12 times. He then carved the word "war" into his abdomen. Watson returned to the bedroom and found Krenwinkel stabbing Rosemary with a knife from the kitchen. Van Houten stabbed her approximately sixteen times in the back and the exposed buttocks. Watson then cleaned off the bayonet and showered while Krenwinkel wrote "quote unquote rise and quote unquote death to pigs" on the walls and "quote unquote helter skelter" on the refrigerator door, all in La Bianca's blood. She gave Lino La Bianca fourteen puncture wounds with an ivory-handled, two-tined carving fork which she left jutting out of his stomach. She also planted a steak knife in his throat.
1: Meanwhile, Manson drove the other three family members who had departed the ranch with him that night, Kasabian, Krogan, and Atkins, to the Venice home of the... Lebanese actor Saladin Nader. Manson left them there and drove back to the ranch, leaving them and the LaBianca killers to hitchhike home. According to Kasabian, Manson wanted his followers to murder Nader in his apartment, but Kasabian claimed she thwarted this murder by deliberately knocking on the wrong apartment door and waking a stranger. The family did not remain free for long. On December 1st, 1969, acting on the information from. From various sources, the LAPD announced warrants for the arrest of Watson, Kringwinkle, and Kasabian in the Tate case. The suspect's involvement in the LaBianca murders were also noted. Manson and Atkins were already in custody, but were not mentioned. Watson and Krenwinkel were already under arrest with authorities in McKinney, Texas, and Mobile, Alabama, having picked them up on notice from the LAPD. Kasabian voluntarily surrendered to authorities after being informed that a warrant was out for her arrest. The trial began on June 15, 1970. The prosecution's main witness was Kasabian, who, along with Manson, Atkins, and Krenwinkel, had been charged with seven counts of murder and one count of conspiracy. Because Manhattan had participated only in the LaPianca killings, she was charged with two counts of murder and one of conspiracy. Since Consabian, by all accounts, had not participated in the killings, she was granted immunity in exchange for testimony that detailed the nights of crime. During the trial, family members lauded near the entrances and corridors of the courthouse. To keep them out of the courtroom proper, the prosecution subpoenaed them as prospective witnesses who would not be able to while others were testifying. When the group established itself in visual on the sidewalk, some members brought hunting knives that although in plain view were legal. Each of the members were identifiable by an X that they wrote on his or her forehead, which was very similar to the type of identifying marks that Charles Manson put on himself. On January 25th, the jury returned guilty verdicts against the four defendants on each of the 27 separate counts against them. Charles Manson, Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, and Leslie Van Houten were all sentenced to death. Tex Watson was tried separately. On October 12, 1971, Watson was found guilty of murdering seven people, Abigail Folger, Wolchek Frykowski, Stephen Parent, Sharon Tate Polanski, who was eight months pregnant, Jay Sebring, Lino LaBianca, and Rosemary LaBianca. On October 21, 1971, Watson, like the others, was sentenced to death.
0: In February 1972, the death sentences of all five parties were automatically reduced to life in prison when the California Supreme Court abolished the death penalty in that state. All of their sentences were reduced to life imprisonment, which by California law had to include the possibility of parole. Despite this possibility, none had been granted parole. Susan Atkins had been denied parole 14 times before her death in 2009 from brain cancer. Charles Manson had been denied parole 12 times before his death in 2017 from heart failure due to colon cancer. Patricia Krenwinkel has been denied parole 14 times, including the latest attempt in 2017. Leslie Van Houten has been denied parole 22 times, with the most recent time being in 2019. The past three attempts were approved by the parole board, but denied by the California governor serving at the time of request, Jerry Brown and current governor Gavin Newsom. Tex Watson has been denied parole 17 times with the most recent being in 2021.
1: So before we discuss the other murders that were committed by the Manson family, Jenny, what are your thoughts on the Tate-LaBianca murders?
0: They are so, so brutal and difficult to hear about, but I feel like every time I hear about the Tate murders, I learned something new. I think for me, I don't know a ton about the Manson family. I think I've learned a lot more in recent years, but I am always like surprised at just how brutal it was. And I really didn't know anything about the LaBianca murders going into this. The fact that Rosemary LaBianca was fighting so hard for her life that she was swinging a lamp that the cord was attached around her neck. What a fighter, man. Like she did all that she could. A lot of these people did all that they could to survive, but they were just like, outnumbered, I guess uh, is the best way to say it. They weren't carrying weapons like the Manson family was. It's so tragic. It's become such a like a legend now that I think it's really easy for people to maybe like disassociate a little and not really view it as like real life, especially because it did happen so long ago. I know a lot of people kind of say this was like the end of like the 60s as like a loving, like happy, like flower power kind of era, and it really scared people, especially because I'm glad that we mentioned how Charles Manson really was controlling people with LSD. These people people like day in day out were like taking lsd i think that really has to like mess with your mind somehow and it's like no wonder that they became violent del what are your thoughts on all of this
1: i definitely agree with you i think that when people think of really heinous crimes this is probably one that's at the top of a lot of people's list for good reason you had someone who through drugs through manipulation really transformed people that were desperate for love, desperate for someone to care about them. He transformed them into monsters and people that had no regard for the life of others. And I think that it's especially telling that most of his followers were women. I think that there's a lot of cult leaders and we've seen this when we covered Jim Jones who use sex, use drug to control women and other people. I agree with you that it's amazing to hear about the fight of Rosemary LaBianca. I definitely think that when you're in that situation, it's very hard to know how you're going to react. But the fact that she was fighting and trying to make sure that she was able to survive, even though, unfortunately, it did not happen. I definitely think that all credit should be given to her. I think that when you're up against people that don't care about life whatsoever and don't care about other people, it's really hard to picture to yourself like what that looked like and what they were dealing with at the time. And the same goes for the murder of Sharon Tate and the other occupants of the Polanski home where you just had this devilish force converging on you and their one goal was to shed as much blood as possible. There were at least four other murders the Manson family committed in addition to the Tate LaBianca murders. The first one that we're going to go over is that of Gary Hinman. Gary Allen Hinman was a music teacher and PhD student at UCLA. At some point in the late 1960s, he befriended members of the Manson family, allowing some of them to occasionally stay at his home. Manson believed that Hinman was wealthy and sent family members Bobby, Mary Brunner, and Atkins to his home on July 25, 1969 to convince him to join the family and turn over the assets Manson thought Gary had inherited. The three individuals held the uncooperative Henman hostage for two days, during which time Manson arrived with a sword and slashed Gary's ear. After that, Bobby stabbed Gary to death allegedly on Manson's instruction. Bobby or one of the women used Gary's blood to write quote-unquote political piggy on the wall and to draw a panther paw, which is a symbol of the Black Panther movement. This was all tied to Manson's ultimate plan of trying to agitate a race war between blacks and whites, which is also something that Helter Skelter refers to. Bobby was arrested on August 6, 1969 after he was caught driving Gary's car. Police found the murder weapon in the tire well. He had two trials and was eventually convicted and sentenced to death. His death sentence, like the others, was commuted to life when California briefly outlawed the death penalty in 1972.
0: On November 8, 1972, the body of 26-year-old Vietnam Marine combat veteran James L.T. Willett was found by a hiker near Guernville, California. Months earlier, he had been forced to dig his own grave and then was shot and poorly buried. His body was found with one hand protruding from the grave and the head and other hand missing. His station wagon was found outside a house in Stockton where several Manson followers were living. Police forced their way into the house and arrested several of the people there. The body of James Willett's 19-year-old wife, Lauren Rennie Willett, was found buried in the basement. She had been killed very recently by a gunshot to the head. The family members initially claimed it was an accident. It was later suggested that she was killed out of fear that she would reveal who killed her husband. The Willett's infant daughter was found alive in the house. Michael Montfort and William Goucher pleaded guilty to murdering Rennie Willett.
1: The final murder that we're going to look at is that of Donald Shea. Shea was a Span Ranch stuntman and horse wrangler who had been killed approximately 10 days after an August 16th, 1969 sheriff's raid on the ranch. Manson suspected that Shay helped set up the raid. Manson may have considered it a quote unquote sin that the white Shay had married a black woman. There is also a possibility that Shay knew about the Tate LaBianca killings. In separate trials, family members Bruce Davis and Clem Grogan, along with Manson, were found guilty of Shay's murder. They were all given a life sentence and Grogan was eventually given parole. He was the first of the Manson family members who were given parole. And this is likely tied to the fact that he assisted in the prosecution's case by providing a map for locating Shay's body.
0: In addition to the murders, there was another major event that the Manson family was involved in. On September 5th, 1975, Lynette Squeaky Frome attempted to assassinate United States President Gerald Ford in Sacramento, California. She wanted to make a statement to people who refused to halt environmental pollution and its effects on air, trees, water, and animals. Although Frome stood little more than an arm's length from Ford that Friday morning and pointed an M1911 pistol at him in the public grounds of the California State Capitol building, she had not chambered a round. The gun did not fire and no one was injured. Secret Service agent Larry Buendorf grabbed the gun, forced it from Frome's hand, and brought her to the ground. On the ground, Frome said, quote, it didn't go off. Can you believe it? It didn't go off, end quote. Frome was convicted of attempting to assassinate President Ford and received a life sentence. During her imprisonment, Frome escaped from prison and as a result received extra time to her sentence after her capture two days later on December 26, 1987. Frome was released from prison on August 14, 2009. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about the Manson family. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with a brand new episode focused on the Black Dahlia. As always, stay safe.